Welcome to the North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week. We strive to know God intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Him daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its unchanging truths for living life God's way. Let's listen in to this week's message. Good morning. My name is Pastor Brandon, and um, what we do once a month, the final Sunday of every month, the believers in Christ in the early church would do oftentimes even daily as they met together. They would break bread, give thanks, and they would also share in the Lord's Supper. And um, just want you to know that a part of communion and a part of doing this together as the body of Christ is remembering the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf. We serve at North Main Street Church of God what's called an open communion. If you've not been aware of that, that means if you are a believer in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life, we welcome you to partake of the elements this morning in this cup and the wafer that's in the lid. And yes, I'm hearing you ruffle through pulling that apart. So there's a thin piece of plastic on the top that you pull off exposing the little wafer and then there's an aluminum foil tab that you pull off exposing the juice. If you are at home watching this now or watching this in the future uh, and you want to partake of, uh, in communion with us, <clears throat> you are always welcome to stop by the office during the week and pick up one of these, uh, one of these uh, cups with a wafer in it or you can, I know this sounds sacrilegious, but these... Not Doritos, silly goose. I mean, I guess if that's your, that's all you got. So, but if you had a saltine cracker or something like that, here's the thing. We believe this is a representation of the body and the blood of Christ. It's what we do in remembrance of him that's important. Remembering the sacrifice he made. So uh, we, we do this because Jesus instructed his own disciples in the Last Supper the final Passover meal he had with his disciples. When he broke the bread that evening, the unleavened bread, which represented sinlessness, he says, take and eat, this is my body. And then later on, he says with one of the cups that evening, a ceremonial cup of wine that would have drunk, he says, take and drink all of you, for this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the sins of many actually foreshadowing the death of his blood, on, uh, his blood that would be spilled on the cross just honestly hours later, the very next day. So we're gonna, I'm gonna say a word of prayer. They're gonna lead us in a song of reflection. And if you wanna come forward and pray at the altars, you're welcome to do that. Uh, do not take of this cup in an unworthy manner. If there is sin between you and God that's holding you back, you need to confess and repent of that sin. Because in essence, what you're saying with this cup is an I do vow to Jesus, forsaking all others, having him as Lord of your life. Father, in this place, my hope, my desire is your hope and your desire for us. As we partake of the body and the blood of Christ, yet again, symbolically remembering what you've done for us, let us never partake of this in an unworthy manner by peer pressure or social, social cues or just by some sheer tradition of communion or the Eucharist. But God, remind us that when we partake of this, we partake 
of all you are into ourselves as the transforming Messiah. We're taking in, in essence, who you are into ourselves, forsaking ourselves and taking up our cross and following you. Father, we love you. We thank you for the gift of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's in his precious and holy name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. transgressions he was crushed for our sins the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are healed he was pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our sins punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds by his wounds we are
fitting song passage from Isaiah by his stripes we are healed what would you do if someone you knew who loved you so much was willing to give their life for you see Jesus isn't some far off being imaginary creature who we pledge some homage to, but really is the one who loves us more than anyone else. And he showed us that by his outstretched arms on the cross. And by those wounds, we are healed. How are we healed? We are healed when we say, Lord, I can't do what you did for me. And so I surrender my life to you. When we partake of the body and the blood of Christ, it's that symbolic act of saying, yes, Lord, I receive what you offer to me. So would you partake of the body of Christ this morning? Would you also partake of the blood of Christ? Father, by your wounds, we are healed. We surrender our lives today in every way imaginable. Our desires, everything that we are is yours. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So it is my pleasure on the fifth Sunday of every month to be able to introduce you to our Jumpstart ministry leader. Her name is Emily Hooks. Say hi, Emily. Emily has been uh, doing our children's ministry, elementary age kids. Uh, you've been doing that for how many months now? Over a year. Has it been a year? You got to turn that on. Did you get it? Hello. Hey, it's a, there it is. Hi. There Hi. you go. Hi. <laughs> Would morning, you, uh, again, welcome her again. Sorry, we had a little oh, bit of technical issue. God Thank bless you. you. Thank you. Um, it's so great to be in worship with you guys today um, on this fifth Sunday. I see a lot of my kiddos out there, so I'm so happy to see you guys today and, and be here with you. Hi. So I'm going to test you guys. So for this past month in Jumpstart, we've been talking about a very specific word. It's not up there yet, so good. And that is what? Hank? Wisdom. Very good. We've been talking all about wisdom. So we've been talking about a king. King Solomon, he was known for his wisdom. And where did his wisdom come from? Came from God. Very good, Journey. Great. So I have one more piece of wisdom for you for this month. And we're going to talk about a special verse. And that is Romans 12.2. Good. It's up there. So let me read it for you. Romans 12.2. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So I remember reading this verse when I was really young and not understanding what that meant. Conformed and transformed, what do those mean? What do those words mean? So I want to illustrate those for you today, and hopefully I can do that. 
um, well for you. So we're going to look at that first word, conform. When you conform to the pressures of the world, when you allow the world's views or popular culture that is in rebellion against God to affect the things you do or say, our world is very focused on things like money, fame, achievements, and being perfect. Our world likes us to follow only what you feel like doing or what makes you feel happy, even if this is against God. We know that we are created in the image of God, so we are created to live in communion with him and not what the world says. So would one of you want to come up and help me with something? Journey, you want to come up? Okay, so Journey's going to help us illustrate conform. And I want to give her a tube of toothpaste. You want to hold that for me? So Journey's going to show us what conform looks like with a tube of toothpaste. So she's going to start squeezing the toothpaste. And what's going to happen, Journey? It's going to come out. So that's why I have this plate here for you. So squeezing toothpaste out of its tube. Just keep on squeezing, girl. There you go. When you apply pressure to a tube of toothpaste, the toothpaste inside comes out. Good. Keep going. Keep going. Um, causing the tube to lose or change shape. Once the toothpaste is squeezed out, it cannot go back in. You are left with an empty, useless, disformed version of what you started with. When we give in to the pressure of the world, good journey, you're doing great. It can change us. See how it changed the tube of toothpaste? And not for the better, right? The tube of toothpaste does not, wow, she's really doing a number on it. Very good. So chasing after the things that the world demands of us can leave us feeling like this poor, poor tube of toothpaste. Spent, used, lost, empty, void. Can anything good come from this? No. Um, instead, we are left feeling alone, worried, and even angry. All negative feelings. Great job, Journey. <laughs> Can you give her a round, please? Now I'm going to hold this because I'm going to use it again. Thank you so much. All right, so Journey just showed us conformed, and she did an excellent job. So next we're going to look at transformed. Can I have another volunteer? Hank, do you want to come up? All right, just hold this for a second. I'll give you the cue, okay? All right, so what does it mean to be transformed, your mind renewed? So before we become believers in Christ, hold that up, we are like this empty balloon. When we accept Christ, the Holy Spirit enters into us and makes us a new, beautiful creation. Can you blow that balloon up for me? Keep going. Cheer them on, go ahead. <laughs> All right, that's good. You can tie it. Can you tie it? That would be great. <laughs> well, why not do it in front of a bunch of people? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. That's good. I'm just going to hold it like this. Perfect. Give him a round. Thank you, Hank. All right, so when a balloon is blown up, it is a new creation. The Holy Spirit gives us shape and form because it has entered into us and made us new. When we follow God's rules and not the world's, we are like this fun, blown-up balloon that is not pressured or bogged down or empty. 
like this tube of toothpaste. Its burden is light, and it draws attention to others, and it shines bright. As you focus on trusting God, instead of being worried and afraid, you'll find wisdom. Instead of being frustrated or angry, you'll find yourself experiencing true faith, peace, and comfort. Instead of feeling unloved and alone, you'll know that nothing can separate you from God's love. You'll feel loved and secure, and you'll know that you belong. You'll begin to share that love with others instead of only thinking about yourself. Don't blown-up balloons make people happy? Yes. They catch the attention of others, and they draw them in. So which would you rather be, this balloon or this empty tube of toothpaste? That means that even when it's hard or others disagree with us, we are putting God first. This world at times will try and make us look like following God is not the best or easiest thing. If we are going against the world and following God, do you think some tough decisions are going to come our way? Yes, they definitely will. Of course they will. However, the last verse contains, the last part of this verse contains a promise. If we are following God and doing what he says is right, then we are doing the right thing. He will protect us. Um, think about the stories that we've been doing upstairs and you guys have been doing down here as well. Think about Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and even the Apostle Paul. God protected them in some scary times and used them to bring others to him. That is why we need to stay close to God by studying his word, by praying to him, and surrounding ourselves with others that follow him, which can be tough at times. But God wants to get us through it, and he will help us do that. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your wisdom and for the love that you give us. Thank you that we can have a relationship with you that can see us through the evil of this world. I pray that as we go about our days and we begin this new school year, that we can be transformed, that others can see you at work in our hearts and in our lives. Help us to continue to trust in you and your plan for us. When this world seems to bring us down, help us shift our focus to you and only you. We love you, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, thank you. Are you suggesting I should brush my teeth? Maybe. Look at that. There's a lot in one tube. You want that? Yeah, I'll take it. Okay, thanks. Unless you want to sit on it. Not really. All right. Hey, thank you again, Emily. Thanks for the children's moment this morning. It actually kind of ties into where we're going today a little bit. Uh, it, 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 we're, today's title is um, Peace and a Sword. And we looked last week at the Beatitudes, and one of the Beatitudes was, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will inherit, or excuse me, they will be called the children of God. Do you remember that? If you we weren't here last week, you can go back online and, and watch the sermon if you'd like. Uh, but in the Beatitudes, those blessed statements, blessed are those who mourn, right? Blessed are the persecuted. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. Not the peacekeepers, but the peacemakers, those who make peace in various different situations. We come up on a passage of scripture in the gospel of Matthew 
just five chapters later, where Jesus is also not only addressing his disciples, but he's addressing the crowds. And what he states in this next passage of scripture in Matthew 10 seems to contradict the Beatitudes. And so we're going to look at this really tough passage of scripture in just a moment. I'll give you a chance to turn there. It's Matthew 10, 34. Um, Before we actually get to the passage of scripture today, let me ask you a question. And maybe this has happened to you. If your decision to follow Christ caused your family to reject you, what would you do? What if your family disowned you, rejected you, or didn't want to have anything to do with you because of your relationship with Christ, because you became a Christian. Now, in our culture, we don't really have too many risks with it happening. We do still live in a Christian nation founded on Judeo-Christian values. That's what our Constitution is rooted in. The Declaration of Independence talks about. We are a people who know that God exists, or at least we should know that, because our roots are planted in that. But there are other cultures across the face of the globe, and even subcultures within the American context, where to proclaim faith in Jesus Christ would put you in jeopardy, not only of your life, but in our context of completely being cut off by family. I've told you my story before. My stepfather didn't become a Christian until two years before he died in 2018 when he passed away. So two years prior to that, he was was a believer in Christ. A rough around the edges believer in Christ, but a believer in Christ. Prior to that, he rejected Christ. Any notion of there actually being a God because he really struggled with if there is a God, then how can God exist when there's so much evil in the world? And no matter how much I would talk to him about that, he thought that my job or my role as a pastor was a silly notion. All I was trying to do was manipulate people to give money so that, you know, we could use it for whatever we wanted to, right? All the church wants is your money. They're just a bunch of hypocrites. That's what I grew up hearing. My mom and I would go to church. My dad thought it was the stupidest thing in the world. Why don't you just take your bed and live there? You're there every time the doors are open. And we were. But we never had this rejection to where we were completely cut off. There are, again, there are people groups and nations around the world where to make a commitment for Christ is basically to, to have your family cut you off. And, and in some countries, honor killings of family members because you have dishonored the family by converting to Christ. It is now, according to their specific religious laws, it was, it's in their best interest to kill you to bring honor back to the family because you've so dishonored the family. In some Orthodox Jewish context, they won't kill you, but they will cut you off. In especially the Muslim arena, in the Muslim world, depending on which sect of Muslim or Islamic faith you're a part of, radical Islam or not, you will either get cut off from the family and in some places you could get killed. And if your family who loves you 
and has nurtured you your whole life, cuts you off, where do you go? Some of you said, well, my family's already cut me off because of X, Y, or Z. It's different cutting you off for X, Y, or Z versus your faith in Jesus Christ. It is slightly different, but it is different nonetheless. I want to look at this passage of Scripture. Matthew 10, starting with verse 34. Remember, this is the very same Jesus who just last week I alluded to or showed you, who said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. In verse 34 of Matthew 10, he, he says, don't imagine that I came to bring peace on the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. <laughs> that doesn't sound right, does that? I mean, when you hear the words of Jesus, these are in red letters in most of our Bibles. I didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. See, this is why Christianity and the Bible gets a bad rap, because people read certain things like this, and they say, see, it contradicts itself. How can you believe a book that says one thing here and a total opposite thing here? You see, Jesus used metaphorical language. He used hyperbole at times. And so if we're reading things at face value all the way through Scripture and not digging into the deeper meanings and the context of what's being said, we miss a whole lot that's going on there. See, this is where false teachings creep into the context of the Christian church. They creep into the context of the Christian church because we say, see, Jesus came to bring a sword, not peace. And you do have some radical Christian groups that believe violence is okay. It's never okay. Let's continue. Jesus is quoting from Micah. He says, I've come to set man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. That's not too hard to believe. Uh, your enemies will be right in your own household. Sorry, I just... <laughs> I did, that, that's not too hard to believe was not written in there. I just said that under the breath. So I'm just kidding. If you have a good relationship with your in-laws, kudos. All right. Verse 37. If you love your father or mother more than you love me, you were not worthy to be mine. Or if you love your son or daughter more than me, you were not worthy to be mine. If you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you are not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. In some versions of scripture, King James, New King James, this is actually translated. And, and in the Greek, it actually translates this way. You should hate your father and mother. I know, you shouldn't. That's exactly right. But that's not what it means. Okay? I want you to understand. Because when we're reading things in certain... I'm really proud of you. That is good. You did great, buddy. But in certain translations, it means hatred. But not in the context of the way we are translating it from the words of Christ. See, what Jesus is trying to do, which is what a lot of prophets and teachers do, is to get your attention. Because guess what happens often? We fall asleep. Figuratively speaking, or realistically, right? Raylan, you've fallen asleep in my services before, right? Yes, you have. That's my daughter for you, everybody. Raylan, yes, praise the Lord. <clears throat> Some of you have. And you've told me it was because you were praying or 
on medication. I get it. I get it. Me too. Wouldn't it be bad if you had a narcoleptic pastor? Just taking a side note here. I mean, if I... And then came back, that would be awesome. No, it wouldn't. All right. I've also joked about being a, a, you know, a pastor with the cursing Tourette's. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? It's a really tough crowd this morning. I hope you're laughing at home. I don't hear you. Okay. I'm really going down these bunny trails, and this is not good this morning. I got five hours of sleep, five and a half hours of sleep last night, so forgive me. It was a Pirates game, and it was horrible. All right. Here's the key point this morning. Honestly, let's, as looking, we're going to break this passage down today. But the key point that I want you to take away from all of this, and you can fall asleep after this if you want, but it'll hurt my feelings, is Jesus did not come to bring, Jesus did not come to bring division, but rather his coming demands a decision. Okay, I'm going to unpack that for you. So how does this work? Let's look at this. A decision to do what is right can often lead to division. Have you ever found that to be a true statement in your life? To do something that is the right thing to do can cause division. To do the right thing may put you squarely in opposition of those who are doing the wrong thing. To do the right thing means to go opposite of the rest of the flow in the stream, right? It's difficult, especially when the rest of the group is going the, this, this certain direction, but you're saying, no, 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 I can't go there. I don't want to do that, right? See, parents, we tell our kids this, don't do things you shouldn't do. If your friend jumped up, and I said this analogy not too long ago, and they're like, well, yeah, it depends. If your friend jumped off a bridge, would you do it? See, and I knew, you're like, yeah, because we've done that before. There's like this, this lake and it's cool. Um, here's the thing. You shouldn't do things you know you shouldn't do. Paul even says this, the things I don't do, I, uh, the things I know I should do, I don't do. And the things I should do, I mean, the things, all right, I'm getting it backwards. I'll be back in just a minute. <sighs> The things I know I should do, I don't do, and the things I know I shouldn't do, I do. There we go. Right? So how is it that things you do can put you in square opposition to others, the right things to do? Well, it depends on the crowds you hang around with. It depends on your family context. To do the right thing will put you squarely in opposition to other people from time to time. When Jesus says he did not come to bring peace but a sword, what he is saying is that complete surrender of our lives to him oftentimes puts us in conflict with others and even those closest to us. The idea of a sword in this context is completely symbolic. He's not using the word makari, uh, maka, mm, it's Ma makara, makaira, that's it, makaira, which is the Greek word, doesn't mean violence. It means division, okay? So he's not saying take up arms and stab people that disagree with you. He's saying his decision for you to follow him will cause division in your life. I often talk and joke around about this, but these are not great um, church growth techniques, 
right? Jesus would say, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you can have no part of me. John chapter 6. And it said a vast multitude turned and went home that day. And he looked at his disciples. Are you going to go home too? Right? Or uh, if you want to be my follower or my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Great church growth opportunity there, right? Deny yourself. What does the world tell you to do? Take what you can get when you can get it and claw your way to the top however you can because the world defines success as what we see on TV or in advertisements. And Jesus says the greatest in the kingdom is the one who serves. He says the first will be last and the last will be first. He says you have to lose your life in order to gain it, right? But if you hold on to your life, you'll lose it. How many of you are holding on to every single desire, the fleshly desires that you have, and, you, and they may be good by the world's standards. I want what I want, and that shouldn't be bad. But Jesus says, but what you want is separating you from me because you're living in a life of sin. And so you could either be divided with other people on the earth or you can be divided from me. You choose. Now I know what God desires is he desires us to be bonded with him and not to reject him. Well, I don't reject Jesus. I live for Jesus. But I should have, I should be allowed to have fun. Fun according to whose standards? Yours? The world's? And really, what is fun? I mean, you can define fun in your own terms, but I would say fun that separates you from God and potentially for an eternity is only temporary fun that doesn't end in an eternal reward of eternal life. It's a dangerous thing to toy around with and to gamble with. I would rather stand in opposition to the world than to stand in opposition to Christ. See, I've been talking about this lately with some friends and, and uh, other colleagues. And um, Dave Wilson is the one who, who we were talking about this. And he says, you know what we're really lacking in our culture, at least in our American church culture, is a fear of God. We don't fear God. And I'm not saying, oh no. I'm talking about revering and holding in highest esteem and honor this God who created everything, including us. We are not humbled by the fact that he is Lord of all creation and that he holds the future, our future, in his hands. And his desire is to draw us close to him so that we can be with him for an eternity. And he's opened his arms through Jesus Christ who gave everything for us. He was willing to stand in great opposition to the power structures of the world that were leading people to hell. The religious people of Jesus' day and age, Jesus calls them out. 
in Matthew 23, the great woes of the Pharisees and religious leaders. Read that chapter sometime. We think Jesus is this meek and mild guy who was always soft around the edges and always said pretty nice things to everybody. But you cannot read the Gospels and not see him unpack some pretty stark rebukes against those who are leading people down a wrong path. He's calling them out. He said, you, you should know better. You, you who have the words of truth. You heap these burdens on the backs of people and you won't lift a finger to help them. Oh, woe to you who clean the outside of a cup, but the inside is putrid. Oh, woe to you who paint the inside of a tomb white. You are whitewashed tombs. A tomb is still a place for the dead. But you try to pretty it up and make it look nice. See, there are Pastors, religious leaders, and teachers who are extremely legalistic, and they beat people over the head with scripture after scripture after scripture, thinking they're doing the right thing, but in all really working for the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. I have seen it my whole life. I have heard stories from those of you in here and over my 22 years of ministry of people that tell me how bad their church experience was that caused them to walk away from the faith. But then I have a follow-up. And I ask, who were you following? Jesus or the man on the stage? And that sounds, that sounds very brutal because I know some people have had some very painful experiences in the church. Please Understand, I know that, and I know that personally as well. But let's be honest. When you follow a person other than Jesus Christ, you're following somebody that hopefully is leading you to Christ, but if he's leading you to him, this person, if I'm leading you to me, there's a big problem. If I'm leading you to the head of our uh, religious group, there's a problem. If I'm leading you to some other spiritual guru like a Francis Chan or any other person out there, there's a problem. Any, any spiritual leader should be leading you to Christ. I can't save you, only he can. I can show you the ways to get there. I can show you what's wrong with the big picture. I can point out what sin is. But I can't make you confess, I can't make you repent, and I can't save your soul. I can open the doors for you, I can shine a light on things, I can't do it for you. But see, here's what gets, here's what gets confused and mixed up, is people think, I walked away from the faith because of that pastor. You're not gonna stand before God someday and say it was that pastor's fault. We all have to take ownership for our own lives. And I'm going to take ownership for how I may have caused people to stumble. And I take that very seriously. Don't think for a minute that I get up here just spouting words off because I know that every word I spout off needs to be thoroughly thought through and calculated so that I don't lead anybody astray because I'm going to be held to a higher, a higher judgment. It's what James tells me. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, for you will be judged more strictly. That is a scary place to be. It's a very humbling place to be. 
But like Jeremiah, there's this burning in my soul that I have to preach the word of God. Though it is a scary and fearful thing to do, I know, I know that I know that I know that this is what I have to do. And there are many times I do feel like Jeremiah in the Old Testament, who's drawing a line in the sand, and people are willing to go the way of the world. And Jeremiah's plight was in this whole long prophecy of the Old Testament, God's judgment's coming, God's judgment's coming, God's judgment's coming. That's really, I'm putting it in the, in the mo- spark notes, I think it's a new thing online, it was, uh, what, what were Cliff Notes when I was a kid? The little yellow and black booklets, right? This is the Reader's Digest version. Judgment's coming. God's people, judgment's coming. And just like Jeremiah, judgment is coming. There is a final judgment. We are told that throughout the whole New Testament. Jesus' words himself. There will be a time at the final judgment when we will stand before the throne of God. And those who believed in him and surrendered their lives to him, those who took up their cross to follow him, denying themselves, will hear these words, well done, good and faithful servant. Doesn't say those who are perfect, those who have done everything perfectly. It says those who are righteous, those who are called by my name, those who have followed me and surrendered their lives to me are covered by the blood of Jesus. I don't see their sins are cast as far as the east is from the west. You didn't allow any relationship to get between me and you. Instead, you made the hard decisions to allow all divisions to be parted so that you could have one-on-one access with me because you believe in my son, Jesus Christ. The next point is this. A person's love must be rooted in Christ above all else. I didn't come to bring peace but a sword. Father against son, daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He's saying, listen, your allegiance, has to, your allegiance has to be to me above all else, even if that means people reject you for it, even those closest to you. But the second part of this is, you must love me more than you love anybody else. We don't like that, do we? We think God's selfish. Well, how do you, how, well, if God is perfect, I mean, here, here's the thing, if God is perfect, if God is holy, If all that God says is true, for him to say something other than the truth would be a lie, which would contradict who he is. So now God is saying, you must love me more than anybody else in your life. Who is it? Now, I want you to conceive in your own minds, those of you at home as well, who is the person on the face of this earth right now, aside from God, that you say is somebody you love the most? Maybe it's a husband or a wife. Maybe, maybe it's, it's a husband or wife who's passed on and you still ache from the loss. Maybe it's a son or a daughter. Maybe it's any number of people in your life that you hold in high regard and esteem. Jesus says, okay, the person you love the most in this world, you've got to love me more than them. Do you, do you catch that? And again, that's why it's translated in certain versions is hatred. Now, let me express this. What Jesus is saying, your love for me should so outshine your love for anybody else in the world that that kind of love looks like hatred compared to my love or your love for me. He's not saying to hate each other. He's not saying to hate those you love the most in life. What he is saying is you have to love me more than that. 
Well, how do we love more than that? Because sometimes we can't even conceive of the kind of love that we have for somebody. I, when we had Sarah Lee and I, I love her. I would take a bullet for her. She is my, not my all in all, like we sung on the screen there, but she is everything to me, right? When we started having kids, and we both talked about this, we had Micaiah, and we, and we were thinking, we had our first child. How can we love? We didn't know our capacity to love. We, we, we knew love between the two of us. But when we had our first child, who's up on the words right now? This is the only time she listens to my sermons. Um, I'm just kidding. She listens to them all the time. When we had her, it was just like, oh my gosh, I didn't know you could love this much. And there was a question mark. When we started talking about having a second child, I'm worried. Are we going to be able to love the next one? as much as we love this one. And then Cameron came along and we're like, oh my gosh, you know, it's just this ache of love. How can we love so much? How can, we love because God first loved us. See, we can't conjure that kind of love in and of ourselves. Yes, there's a certain level of love that we can in our own humanness. But the kind of love that we are called to have for God and for each other is a supernatural love called agape love. It's unconditional, sacrificial, and selfless love. And there's a part of you that doesn't realize that kind of love until not only it's been given to you, but until it pours out of you. And then we had Ian a couple of years after that. And we're thinking, how can love abound this great? And then surprise, surprise, five years later, my little princess on the front here, Raylan, comes along. Yes, I curtsy to you, my darling. And we think, it still just astounds me. If I can love that deeply and it hurt, how much more is God's love for us? And how much more is God's desire of our love in return? He doesn't need it. That is true. But he desires it. He longs for it. He wants it from you. And Jesus isn't being mean or hateful or authoritarian when he says this. He's saying, you, I want you to love me more than anyone else. And the reason I want you to love me more than anyone else is because it will benefit you for eternity. I've got so many blessings to give you that you can't even conceive of. And until you love me with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, you can't understand it. I love you this much. I'm willing to sacrifice myself for you. Do you love me this much? And even more. How do we love God? Because that's oftentimes the question I get. When we have to go no further than the Gospels and then the letters of the New Testament. Listen to this. In John 14, verse 15, and this may hurt your ears a little bit. John 14, 15. Come in. 
Oh, it's not somebody's knocking. Uh, if you love me, Jesus says. Okay, did you, get that? did you catch that point? This is one of those if-then statements. If you do this, then this. Okay? We have those conditional statements in the Old Testament. We call those condi or conditional covenants. If you do this, then I will do this. Or if you do this, then this. If you love me, John 14, verse 15, Jesus says, obey my commandments. Let me say that again. Are you with me? If you love me, obey my commands. What are Jesus' commands? Well, actually, Jesus was confronted with this question. What is the greatest commandment, Jesus? And I just gave you part of it a minute ago. And Jesus says, well, it goes like this. There are actually two, but they're, they're together. You must first love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. But there's a second one that's just like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. The law and the prophets hang on these two. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying the whole Old Testament hangs on these two commands. The whole Ten Commandments hang on those two commands. The first four have to do with God. The last six have to do with mankind. If you love me, obey my commands. We don't like to hear that because we like to disobey because it's fun. It's super fun. And we convince ourselves to, and we justify our sinful behavior because, well, how can a loving God really condemn me for this? Because it feels so good and it feels so right. Do you not hear that that's the message of the world and the culture in which we live? If it feels good, then it's got to be right. Right? This hookup culture. This do-what-you-want culture. This culture that you can define who you are by whatever you feel like from one moment to the next. Not by what God has designed you to be. And I know this is not a popular message. And I sound like some weird, hypocritical, legalistic pastor that's not towing the line of Christianity today that is shifting like a chameleon to accommodate everybody else's desires. There's only one desire that I care to accommodate, and that's Christ. And he does have commandments. He does have teachings. There are rights and wrongs. There are black and whites. And we better heed what is right in regard to what Jesus says is right, to what God says is right, versus what the world says is right. Because if I come out on the wrong side of that issue, guess where I'm going? I won't be with Christ for eternity. And I know this isn't popular. John 14, go on further down that chapter. Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. Let me say that again. All who love me will do what I say. Again, sounds a lot like our parents, right? Yes, yes it does, brother. If you love me, you're going to obey me. You're going to do the right thing. Why did Parents do this. Why did you do that? I told you not to do that. Why did you do this? Why didn't, why didn't you take out the trash? Why didn't you clean your room, make your bed? Why didn't you do... 
If you love me, I mean, show me that you love me. Don't just say it. Is that right? We desire to experience love by action and not just by word. There are a lot of people that walk around and say, Jesus, I love you. God, I love you. I love you, God. God loves you too. But we don't live it out. Our actions show the contrary. What if, what if, and I'm not going to use any other example but me and my wife right now. What if I said, Sarah I love you. I love you so much. And I send her flowers and candy and chocolate, all that stuff on a regular basis. But then I slap her around behind her back. Well, I'm glad one of you agrees with that. <laughs> Would I be loving her by committing these kinds of atrocious sins against her? Okay, what if I said I valued all of life, every living human being, but then on the weekends they went out and, and rioted and shot and killed people? Now, it sounds absurd, yes? But my actions show quite the contrary from what I'm saying is the truth. Jesus says, if you love me, obey my commands. All who love me will do what I say. My Father will love them, and he will come, and we will come and make our home with each of them. See, God will not come and make his home with you if you are not living by his commands. That's a home that is not welcoming to Christ. Again, please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. You do not have to be perfect. But if you are actively living in a sinful lifestyle, you are basically drawing a line in the sand yourself saying, I choose this rather than you, Jesus. I choose this rather than to obey your commands. That's what separates you from God. It's not continuing to follow Christ and then saying something off the cuff or, or, or messing up occasionally and saying, oh Lord, forgive me, I can't do that. And then stopping that behavior and continuing in your walk to Christ. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is, is from the Father who sent me. Here's John chapter 15. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, Jesus' words. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I told you these things so that you will be filled with joy. How many of you are filled with joy? Good. Praise the Lord. My guess is if you're not living in accordance with God's will for your life, you probably don't feel or experience much joy. Could be wrong. Been wrong before. I've told you these things that you'll be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way that I have loved you. Don't love each other selfishly, but rather love each other the way I've loved you. How did Jesus love us? Unconditionally, sacrificially, and selflessly. Honor your commitments. Love each other as I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay one's life down for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. See, these are not things we like to hear from Jesus. Let me give you a couple more and then we'll close. In John's first letter, 
to the church in 1 John. Listen to what he writes. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has become a child of God. If you believe Jesus is is the Messiah, and you've surrendered your life to him, you have become a child of God. And, any, and everyone who loves the Father loves his children too. So you'll love other believers in Christ as well. I've seen believers in Christ fight. I've, I've, I've heard of fist fights within the church before over stupid, idiotic things. And even if, if it was over a serious matter, believers in Christ, children of God, do not act that way. But I digress. He goes on to write, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commands. Loving, God's, loving God means keeping his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. Oh, but it's, he's such a killjoy. I can't go out and have fun. Actually, they're not burdensome if you actually apply them to your life and live them out. 1 John 2, 1 through 6, my dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. What is sin? Anything that runs contrary to what God's perfect will is. Well, how do we know what that is? Read the word. Read the word of God. If nothing else, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'm not saying disregard the Old Testament, but if you can't figure anything else out, just read that, okay? Listen to this. If anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. Now this is, if anyone sins, they realize that they've sinned, then there's an advocate who sits at the right hand of the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. And he's advocating on your behalf. And so we appeal to Jesus, Lord, I have committed sin against you and against others in my life. Please forgive me. And then when we repent, it means we walk away from that sinful behavior and we don't do it again. See, when, when he's talking about here is we don't sin and then say, well, God's going to forgive me. And so I sin again in the same manner. And then I can sin, continue to sin again. See, Paul talks about this. He said, so should we continue to sin so that God's grace may abound in our lives? He says, no way. Stop it. It is not the nature of a child of God to continue in sin. But when they have stumbled and fallen in sin, the right response is to get up Confess that sin and continue toward God and away from sinful behavior. Jesus Christ is that advocate. He's truly righteous. He himself is a sacrifice that atones for our sins. And not only our sins, but the sins of the world. And we can be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Know Christ intimately. You're going to obey, follow him. Following him, taking up your cross and following him is obeying him. If someone claims, I know God, but doesn't obey his commandments, that person is a liar and is not living in the truth. But those who obey God's word truly show how completely they love him. That's how we know we're living in him. Those who say they live in God should live their lives as Jesus did. That's from 1 John chapter 2. As our worship team comes forward, I'm going to close with this story. And I realize time is ticking by and it's a little bit later than normal, but please stick with me today. Okay, stick with me just for a few more moments. We may not live in a culture <clears throat> where our decision to follow Christ will put us in stark contradiction to our family the way it did in Jesus' day and age. There was great persecution in the early church. To make a decision for Christ was making a was making a decision that you knew, that you knew, that you knew was gonna get you into trouble. 
We've had it so cushy in our culture, and we've taken for granted the freedoms we have. So much so that our freedoms are beginning to ebb away, not near like there are in Afghanistan today, Iraq, Iran, China, where they're committing millions upon millions of people to what they call re-education camps, but are in all actuality concentration camps, to re-educate you in the ways of communist society or Islamic society. You either convert or you're killed. You either, con you either <clears throat> recant your faith in God or we'll throw you in prison. See, they're so far removed from anything we can conceive that we get up in a dander when someone says you can't pray in school. And I, I listen, I think we should pray in school. But if that's our biggest issue, we get bigger. I mean, come on. Yes, we're going down a slippery slope. We need to stand for what's right, even in the opposition to the rest of the world. But the reason that Christianity grows so much faster in persecuted communities and cultures is because you know what you're risking for Christ when you say yes to Jesus and no to the world. You're, you are literally putting your life on the line. I don't wish that upon our culture. I honestly don't. I wish our culture would wake up. I, no, let me, let me take that back. I wish our churches would wake up. If our churches wake up, I'm going to guess there'll be a revival in the culture unlike we've ever seen. But our churches are asleep. We're asleep at the wheel. We've become accustomed to comfort. We don't like difficulty and division. We, we don't like, we're afraid of somebody calling us a freak if we talk to them about Jesus. But you have other people in other cultures risking their lives and their families to just say Jesus is Lord. There's a story of uh, Anila and Praveen, 17 and 18 years old respectively, and they met at school in a small town in Pakistan some years ago. As their friendship grew, Anila gave Praveen a Bible and taught her Christian songs. Praveen quickly learned the songs and she began to teach them to her younger sister when their parents weren't home. However, Praveen's parents soon learned of the songs and being strict Muslims, they weren't happy about their daughters learning these songs. But rather than confronting Praveen right away, they had Praveen's younger sister try and find out where the Christian influence was coming from. Anila eventually invited Praveen to a Good Friday service in which she heard the gospel presentation. She immediately accepted Jesus Christ as her savior. And from that point on, Praveen became very excited about her new relationship with Christ and she saw great changes taking place in her life. She read her Bible and praised God boldly. However, Anila knew that, long, that, that before long, her friend would encounter opposition with her family. Praveen's parents could not find her. They accused Anila and her pastor of kidnapping her. They had Anila arrested. She was slapped and beaten in front of her parents for over nine hours after which she was taken to prison. Anila's pastors and, uh, pastor and family were taken to prison on the following day 
And all of them experienced relentless torture in jail, all for the message of Jesus Christ. This is a true story. She was whipped 16 times, five times would make a normal man pass out. When they released Anila, she could not sit for two months. And her pastor barely could walk because of the bruises on his hips and thighs. Praveen, however, was later found by her family. In Muslim nations, children are often severely beaten for converting to Christianity. Others are killed by their own parents or siblings for apostasy, which is converting to another faith. So to restore the honor of his family, Praveen's brother stabbed her to death. He then turned himself in to the local authorities, and as is often the case in these situations, he was eventually released without any charges. Again, Anila, Praveen's friend, was arrested on charges of kidnapping and then released on bail a little more than a month later. She and her family went into hiding following her release due to the threats of radical Islam on their lives. Now, this isn't to make you angry, angry at radical Islam. This is to elevate the reality of what we don't suffer in our culture, but some people do for their faith. And it's something that we should be willing in our culture to stand for and not back down for as easily as we do. There's countless stories of how faith in Christ puts a person in a tense and precarious situation with their family and friends. And yes, you may have to change the groups you're around. Not to reject them. You should still be a light of Christ wherever you are. But you still have to make a decision one way or another. Last week was a heavy week for me, right? I preached from the depths of my heart. Not that I don't every week, but I love you guys and ladies. Those of you watching online, love you guys too. And I know I maybe don't always show it in practical ways. It's hard when your church is, is larger to really become intimately connected with everybody. But my heart breaks because I know this message sometimes falls on deaf ears. Not because I'm preaching it, but because people aren't really willing to hear it. I want you to know this Jesus that you would be willing to lay your life on the line for. I want you to be set free from the baggage of sin and death depression, unforgiveness, offense. I want you to be broken free from that, but you can't unless you're willing to completely surrender everything. And that may mean you need to break off certain relationships in your life because that relationship may be holding you back. Now, I'm not saying you should ever curse anybody, reject anybody. You should always be open to lead people to Christ. But if the relationships you're in are keeping you from Christ, Who's that on? These altars are open. If you want to make a decision, if you need to be delivered from sin and death, if you need to be delivered from something that you've been carrying around, this is a great place to leave your burdens at. Somebody will pray with you here. Or you can kneel there or stand there and pray. But please, 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 I beg you, I'm serious here. Don't walk out of this place carrying the burden that you came in with. Remember, the burden that Christ gives is light. Father, in this place, it's always my desire that you would be glorified.
that you would be honored above all else, above all relationships, even if that means that the relationships in our lives reject us for it. Our love for you, God, needs to outweigh every other love in this life. Remind us of that. Forgive us of our sins. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Create within us a clean heart and renew a right spirit within each and every one of us, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's word. Make sure to visit us on our website, www.northmaincog.org, where you can learn more about us. If you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes, or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that would be helpful too. Donating to the ongoing ministry of North Main is easy. Just go to our website and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.